All right, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Pastor Eli James here, and this is Restoration Hour, Saturday, April 17, 2021. And today is going to be pretty much a recap of uh, the week's news and the craziness going on everywhere with regard to COVID and uh, lockdowns, etc. Also, the Derek Chauvin trial. Uh, we'll uh, be doing a little coverage on that as well. But I uh, had to move my office uh, earlier today, so my Windows Media Player is not working, so I can't play the theme music. <laughs> all right, so uh, we'll have to hopefully get all that set back up again tomorrow. had to completely unhook my computer, printer, the whole, whole shebang, and move it into a different room because I'm having work done here. So... That's that story, and uh, you know we'll try to get everything rolling for Black, uh, for Black Lives Matter, right? For Bloodlines tomorrow, <laughs> uh, we'll be talking about Black Lives Matter uh, and the craziness that they're up to. But uh, uh, I'll start out with the Derek Chauvin trial, and this is Lewis R. Gordon, professor of philosophy, University of Connecticut, and he issued this statement yesterday. And this is, I guess this is Yahoo News. Yahoo News, okay. Uh, it's an internet uh, publication by uh, Yahoo, by AT&T. So, Lewis Gordon has this to say. There is a difference between enforcing the law and being the law. The world is now witnessing another in a long history of struggles for racial justice in which this distinction may be ignored. Derek Chauvin, a 45-year-old white former police Minneapolis police officer, is on trial for second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter for the May 25, 2020. Is it that long ago? <laughs> okay, it's almost a year ago now. Death of George Floyd, a 46-year-old African-American man. There are three questions I find important to consider as the trial unfolds. These questions address the legal, moral, and political legitimacy of any verdict in the trial. I offer them from my perspective as an Afro-Jewish philosopher. (laughs) Oh my goodness. An Afro-Jewish philosopher. What next? A rabbi? And political thinker who studies oppression, justice, and freedom. Yeah, from the group of people who create the most of oppression, lack of freedom, etc., They also speak to the divergence between how a trial is conducted, what rules govern it, and the larger issue of racial justice raised by George Floyd's death. What racial justice? The guy was a criminal. And he uh, fought with the police. He was on drugs. His heart failed. Uh, George Floyd was a a moron. A thug. A a drug-saturated thug. That's all he was. There are questions that need to be asked. Okay, one, can Chauvin be judged as guilty beyond a reasonable doubt? Well, my opinion is no. (laughs) Because uh, George Floyd was already having difficulty breathing and uh, so so drug stuperized that uh, he started uh, fighting with the police right off the bat. So, and... uh, the other two police, uh, two or three police officers who were restraining him, 
were also involved, but only Derek Chauvin kneeled on his neck. Now, whether or not uh, kneeling on his neck caused his death is open to question. So, what what does this Afro-Jewish philosopher have to say? Oh, my goodness. Uh, okay. Can this be proven beyond a reasonable doubt? Uh, I don't think so. The author continues. The history of the United States reveals, however, that these two conditions apply primarily to white citizens. Black defendants tend to be treated as guilty and true provenists. That's not true. That's not true at all. I've attended many trials where blacks and whites and uh, the judges treat them fairly. They just base their decisions on the evidence. The problem is most black most black criminals are guilty <laughs> and and the judge and, and the jury tend to rule them so when they are. Since blacks commit most of the crimes, it has nothing to do about presumption of innocence. This is a total BS by this Afro-Jewish philosopher. He continues, Racism often leads to presumptions of reasonableness and good intentions when defendants and witnesses are white, and irrationality and ill intent when defendants, witnesses, and even victims are black. Well, that's not true either, because the vast majority of blacks who are on trial are accused by other blacks of having committed violence against them, and whiteness has nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing to do with it. This is bold-faced lies by this Afro-Jewish philosopher. Uh, I don't think I can stand much more of this. Uh, I'll just read one more paragraph. Additionally, race affects jury selection. Yeah, well, because the uh, blacks tend to be dishonest and racist, so a, a black man wants a black jury. The history of all-white juries for black defendants and rarely having black jurors for white ones is evidence of a presumption of white people's validity of judgment versus that of black <laughs> black Americans. Well, well, blacks aren't as well educated. Hello? Uh, how about checking their test scores a little bit? Doubt can be afforded to a white defendant in circumstances where it would be denied a black one. Well, that's just that's just obvious nonsense. It's Afro-Jewish nonsense. All right, let, let's have a real, a real philosopher here. <laughs> yeah, Afro-Jew means communist Jew. That's for sure. Absolutely for sure, says Adolf in the chat room. I'm going to read now something which would be more honest, by Patrick J. Buchanan from the American Free Press. And this was published March 29th, 22nd and 29th, 2021. And it's available at www.americanfreepress.net. At least it was at, at that time. And Pat, I'm reading from a printed copy here, showing a picture of Derek Chauvin wearing a face mask at the, at the trial. As the jury was being impaneled for the trial of fired police officer Derek Chauvin, the Minneapolis City Council voted 13 to nothing to approve a record $27 million 
civil settlement with the family of George Floyd over his de death in police custody. So that's jumping the gun, isn't it? Uh, why don't you find out if Derek Chauvin is going to be guilty before you pay, <laughs> pay anything out? As far as I'm concerned, Derek Floyd is the guilty party for being such a, 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 a rambunctious, I'll be kind, I'll use the word rambunctious, uh, uh, no account. The jury will not likely miss this message sent by the city fathers. Yeah, the city fathers, transgenders. But what is the Minneapolis City Council comprised of? <laughs> Feminists, Black Lives Matter, Antifa. Is that who runs Minneapolis? The one of the most liberal cities in the country. Yeah, and so this is a deliberate message sent to the jurors by the city council that we, the city of Minneapolis, think that he is guilty, that is, Chauvin is guilty. So we're already paying $27 million to his family. Absolutely amazing. You can't wait till the trial and see, uh, see what the verdict is. Throwing $27 million of taxpayers' money away like that? Anyway, that uh, the message being sent would be that uh, an atrocity was perpetrated by our police and we are admitting our responsibility and doing our duty by offering these reparations for... Why don't you just offer reparations to all black people for slavery 150 years ago. Why don't you just charge the Minneapolis taxpayer, present them with the bill. And uh, and we are admitting our responsibility and doing our part, our duty, by offering these reparations for Floyd's uh, cru cruel and unjustified death and the suffering visited on his family. Most Americans who saw the nine-minute tape of Chauvin with his knee on the neck of Floyd as he pleaded, quote, I can't breathe, unquote, will probably concur with the charge of criminal culpability of Chauvin. Yet, over the months, new facts and factors have emerged. And uh, as I said, I don't think it's a done deal. Uh, there's Whether or not uh, George Floyd died as a result of Chauvin kneeling on his neck is totally open to question. George Floyd was not choked to death, says Patrick J. Buchanan. He was not asphyxiated. He was not killed by Chauvin's knee on the side of his neck. An autopsy showed Floyd's neck muscles were not even bruised. Floyd died when his heart stopped. Yet he was already suffering from an enlarged heart with constricted arteries, one of five which was 90% blocked, and two others were 75% blocked. So what was George Floyd doing passing off <laughs> fake, fake money? He's a criminal. He's a criminal who got caught. And because of all of his uh, drug overdoses and his other health problems, he... Uh, essentially asphyxiated himself. Now, this is kind of like saying uh, if a guy jumps out of an airplane and his chute doesn't open uh, until it just, just, just before he hits the ground, 
what caused the death. But he didn't hit the ground really hard, but he had a heart attack just before he hit the ground, okay? So what caused the death, the heart attack or hitting the ground? Well, if he didn't have a heart attack, he might have been able to adjust his landing position. An autopsy found heavy concentrations of fentanyl in Floyd's system. Why don't you blame the medical establishment for legally prescribing fentanyl to people and killing them? And traces of methamphetamines. If Floyd had collapsed and died in the street while being arrested into a squad car, his death would have been attributed to a drug overdose and a bad heart. No, it wouldn't. It would still be attributed to racism. Also, a videotape of the minutes prior to Floyd being put on the pavement, his neck under Chauvin's knee, shows Floyd crying repeatedly. I can't breathe, even before Chauvin put his knee on his neck while resisting the two rookie cops trying to put him in a patrol car. Moreover, there is testimony from those with Floyd when he was stopped for passing an allegedly phony $20 bill that he had passed out in the car before the cops arrived. So he's passing out and regaining consciousness and passing out again. And the arresting policemen claim he was foaming at the mouth before being restrained. In short, Chauvin's defense attorneys will likely make a credible case, backed by evidence that Floyd's death was not caused by the knee on his neck, but by the battered condition of his heart, the near-lethal dose of fentanyl in his system, and his anxiety and panic at being arrested and fearing as he wailed that he was going to be shot. Now, I think the Minneapolis City Council needs to bear the brunt of all of this violence because they're the ones permitting blacks to run riot, riot run rampant as a result of uh, the rioting, etc., after the George Floyd death, half the neighborhood being burnt down. So they need, they need to have another episode of this because I think Derek Chauvin is not going to be found guilty of any of these charges. The evidence so far reported by Pat Buchanan tells me that he was already very sick and he just mustered up just enough energy to fight back against the cops and his fentanyl-driven rage. So, in short, Chauvin's defense attorneys will likely make a credible case, backed by evidence, and uh, he died of a heart condition and the fentanyl. And his anxiety and panic at being arrested and fearing as he wailed that he was going to be shot. Well, he didn't get shot. But, of course, you can be afraid of something that doesn't happen. The prosecution will counterclaim that Chauvin's knee on Floyd's neck and the two other cops sitting on him, precipitated the stopping of his heart. Well, was somebody sitting on his chest? Maybe the person sitting on his chest assisted the heart from stop to, to stop. But the prosecution faces other questions. How could Chauvin, 
who arrived late to the scene, know Floyd was a drug addict with a serious heart condition and a large amount of fentanyl in his system. How could he have known that? Before using the restraint technique of sitting on him and putting a knee on the side of his neck, which is standard operating procedure for cops in situations like this. What was Chauvin trying to do when he arrived to see two rookie cops trying to cope with a powerfully built, six-foot-four-inch, 220-pound man violently resisting arrest? What was he supposed to do? Did Chauvin put his knee on Floyd's neck to kill him? To torture or injure him? Or did he use the technique to restrain him? Prosecutors will contend that the knee on the neck was a criminal assault, a felony that caused Floyd to black out and his heart to stop. But that raises another question. Is placing a knee on the side of the neck an outlawed or prohibited procedure for police to use to restrain a suspect violently resisting arrest? As a chokehold is in some precincts? Or is it a procedure some police use legally at times? Yes, it is. Chauvin was clearly familiar with the technique. He had used it before without injury had he used it before without injury to a suspect. In a motion to dismiss the charges, he himself faces the death of Floyd, former police officer Thomas Lane, included 30 pages of Minneapolis Police Department training materials, including information on the maximal restraint technique. Lane included a photo of an officer with a knee on a suspect's neck, similar to the hold used by Chauvin. In preparing for the trial of Chauvin, Minneapolis has fortified with concrete barriers, fences, and razor wire the courthouse where it will be held. As I said, they need to have another riot. Because if Chauvin doesn't get the death penalty, all the Black Lives Matter and Antifa people in Minneapolis will riot again, and the city council deserves to have another riot. So, concrete barriers, fences and razor wire, the courthouse where it will be held. Understandably, any acquittal of Chauvin or conviction on a lesser charge than murder could trigger a riot like those that plagued the city through the summer of 2020. And if a mob does take to the streets in Minneapolis, as it did all last summer, the national reaction will be telling. Yeah, have we had enough yet? How does one accurately describe a crowd that gathers outside a courthouse to demand, on the threat of a riot, a verdict of guilty. And should a riot occur, and violent protests in Louisville, Seattle, and Portland over the weekend of March 14th seem to point to another such long, hot summer, may we expect our new national leaders, Joe Biden, uh, Kabbalah Hairstein, and... Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumerstein to denounce the mob and stand up unequivocally for the rule of law? Well, I don't think we can expect that to happen. Not from Democrats. So I think there's going to be a riot. <laughs> Another riot, folks. Maybe the weather needs to warm up a bit before a serious riot can happen. But folks, this is getting serious. We're not going to <coughs> excuse me. We're not going to see any end to the violence because it's all been orchestrated anyway. Okay. And here's another article. Let's see we got more uh, more of an intelligent article here.
from okay at at oh, everyone sorry. gets their best deals on all smartphones let me break it down okay uh, no don't bother don't bother explainer here's why derek chauvin won't testify at trial the former minneapolis police officer charged with murder and george floyd's death won't testify in his own defense by Steve Karnowski and Michael Tarm, Associated Press, uh, two days ago. Minneapolis. The former Minneapolis police officer charged with murder in George Floyd's death said Thursday that he won't testify in his own defense, invoking his right to remain silent and leave the burden of proof on the state. It was a high-stakes decision. Taking the stand could have helped humanize Derek Chauvin to jurors who haven't heard from him directly at trial, but it could also have opened him up to a devastating cross-examination. Well, yeah, there, well, there's uh, two ways of looking at it, right? Quote, we have gone back and forth on the matter. Would be kind of an understatement, right? Defense attorney Eric Nelson asked Chauvin in court without the jury present. Yes, it is, Chauvin replied. Chauvin is charged with second and third degree murder and manslaughter. How do you charge a person with two different types of murder for one offense. I mean, you got to make up your mind. It's either second degree or third degree, right? I don't know. This is goofy. Here's a look at some of the issues that likely went into Chauvin's decision not to take the stand. Why might Chauvin have wanted to testify? Images from bystander video of Chauvin pinning Floyd to the pavement, his face impassive, now, if his face is impassive, he's not yelling, I can't breathe. Or are they talking about Chauvin's face? As we just found out from Pat Buchanan, he arrived late on the scene. The other two officers pinned uh, Floyd to the ground by different parts of his body, probably his chest and his legs, and that left uh, the neck open for Chauvin. So, his face impassive have been played nearly every day at trial and are likely seared into the minds of many jurors. Yeah, but did he do anything wrong? Did he violate police protocol? The face mask Chauvin has been required to wear in court because of the pandemic has hidden any possible display of emotion during testimony. Taking the stand would have given him a chance to explain the video and show another side, maybe giving the jury a reason to convict him only of manslaughter. Well, I have a feeling they are going to convict him of a lesser charge because they'll be blamed for burning. <laughs> if they don't, if they don't convict him of something, the jury members will be blamed for burning Minneapolis down again. Quote, he has nothing to lose given that that video is so damaging, Phil Turner, a former federal prosecutor in Chicago, said earlier this week. You've got to get up there and give an explanation. It's a no-brainer, unquote. Multiple witnesses and video evidence have shown Chauvin pinning Floyd for almost nine and a half minutes. Well beyond the time Floyd stopped moving and a fellow officer said he could not find a pulse. Well, maybe in his excitement, he, uh, you know, he didn't hear people. And uh, he was uh, still uh, practicing his police officer's duty as he was taught how to do it. Could testifying have hurt Chauvin's case? Definitely. Answering sympathetic questions from his own lawyer wouldn't have been a problem. 
but cross-examination could have increased his odds of conviction. Prosecutors would have played the bystander video of Chauvin, who was white, pinning Floyd, a black man. White, black, white, black, white, black. Well, whatever. They never have a white victim of a black cop being uh, cruelly pinned to the ground, and that has happened also. But they won't play that video for the national audience. And pause it every few seconds to ask why he stayed on top of Floyd. As the defense developed its case through cross-examination of the state's witnesses and its own witness testimonies, the need for Chauvin to testify faded. Minnesota defense attorney Mike Brandt said, Chauvin surely would have been subjected to a very thorough, probing, and brutal cross-examination from the prosecution, Brandt said. Well, why he didn't uh, get up off the ground, did he realize that, uh, that Floyd was dead? Did he not realize it? And how long into the kneeling process did Floyd live? Was Chauvin likable through t- enough to testify? Well, who knows? Maybe uh, at least as likable as Floyd. <laughs> okay. Most lawyers want to be sure jurors will like their clients before putting them on the stand. Quote, Chauvin doesn't, well, he's a cop. <laughs> Chauvin doesn't come across as a warm and pleasant person. As I said, he's a cop. How many cops do you know who are warm and pleasant persons? Crazy. Crazy commentary here. Anyway, uh, so that doesn't apply in this case. Uh, Very, very few cops are warm and pleasant persons, especially if they've been on the job for a few years. And jurors want to see a caring and empathetic person. That is the one one big liability. If jurors don't like Chauvin, his fate is sealed, Brandt said. Chicago-based attorney Steve Greenberg agreed if Chauvin rubbed jurors the wrong way, it could have backfired. Absolutely. What could Chauvin have said in his defense? The U.S. Supreme Court has ruled that officers' actions that lead to a suspect's death can be legal. If the officers believed their lives were at risk, even if in hindsight they were wrong, only Chauvin could speak to what he was thinking that day, Turner said. Chauvin could have told jurors he's not a doctor and couldn't have known Floyd was dying, said Turner. He could have said he kept his knee on Floyd because, from his experience, he knew larger suspects were capable of breaking free and posing a threat. His lawyer could have had Chauvin testify that he was worried about Floyd's well-being that he might have said he wasn't pressing hard on Floyd's neck, as we reported. There were no bruises on Floyd's neck. Despite expert testimony that calculated half his body weight plus gear was on Floyd at least part of the time. At least part of the time. How much of the time? It wasn't enough to bruise his neck, according to Pat Buchanan, the autopsy report. What were the odds he would testify? Not good. Greenberg said lawyers at murder trials typically don't want their clients to testify. In more than 100 murder trials, he said fewer than 10 of his clients took the stand. When defendants do testify, it is usually a Hail Mary pass by a desperate defense that believes it has slim chance of acquittal on any charges, Greenberg said. Next question. Did jurors want to hear from Chauvin? Probably yes. Probably want to hear his side of the story. 
and maybe uh, prevent another riot. Cahill questioned Chauvin to make sure he understood the ramifications of not testifying and that the final decision was his and not Nelson's. Chauvin affirmed his decision to remain silent was voluntary. The judge also read Chauvin the instruction he intends to give the jury on a defendant's right not to testify, quote, The state must convince you by evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant is guilty of the crime charged. The defendant has no obligation to prove innocence. The defendant has the right not to testify. This right is guaranteed by the federal and state constitutions. You should not draw any inference from the fact that the defendant has not testified in this case, unquote. Chauvin agreed to that instruction. But legal experts widely agree that many jurors interpret a defendant's silence as evidence of guilt. Quote, I think jurors would love to hear from him. They'd love to hear his explanation of why he did what he did, and they're going to be disappointed that they didn't hear from it. Well, that's a... Uh, so disappointment does not mean guilty. <laughs> okay, Mr. Tarm reported from Chicago. Okay, so wow. This case, I have a feeling, folks, that Minneapolis is going to burn again. Okay, now uh, from the Washington Times. And this, uh, this I think I can uh, put in the chat room here. Because uh, th they're expecting a verdict soon. And we'll see what happens in Minneapolis when the verdict arrives. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Adolf says, honest people would agree that the world is better off without criminals like Floyd and every black criminal who died in police hands. They, they, that happens all the time. But blacks kill each other way more than cops do. Maybe, I wonder what the statistics are. How many blacks have been killed by police officers of any race versus blacks being killed by people of their own race, not police officers? I'll bet it's a million to one. I'll bet it's really a tremendous disparity in, in that uh, statistic. Anyway, the Washington Times, D.C. police brace for potential violence as verdict nears in Chauvin murder trial. Okay, so now wouldn't it be illegal for people to riot just because they didn't like a verdict? Will the government allow them to co continue to riot as they did last year without any prosecutions of these criminals who are rioting and destroying property and injuring people, sometimes causing people's deaths? So the message that's being sent by these governments is that blacks can riot as much as they want to and they won't be prosecuted. But if a white man sneezes in the vicinity of a black man, that's called racism. Now here's what it says. Force will be fully activated on 12-hour shifts beginning Monday, April 19th. Okay, so they're expecting the verdict on April 19th. And if it's not uh, guilty of second-degree murder, 
expect a riot. And uh, why wasn't he charged with first-degree murder? <laughs> All right. So they're already rioting. Police in Washington, D.C. are preparing for protesters to hit the streets of the nation's capital once a decision is reached soon in the trial of Derek Chauvin over the death of George Floyd. Quote, in anticipation of potential First Amendment activities related to the outcomes of the Derek Chauvin trial, the Metropolitan Police Department will be fully activated with members on 12-hour shifts starting Monday, April 19th, until further notice. An MPD spokesperson said in a statement they shared with the Washington Times over the weekend. A traffic advisory issued by MPD said it does not anticipate any street closures, but that, quote, there is the potential for intermittent closures in the entire downtown area of the District of Columbia, especially if the blacks start rioting. Uh, see also curfew imposed in Brooklyn Center after violent Dante Wright protests. 100 arrests. I, I'm not even, I've just heard the name Dante Wright. Uh, don't not familiar with the story. But here again, blacks rioting. Uh, at least they arrested some people <laughs> this time. Unlike last year for the George Floyd rioting. Mr. Chauvin, 45, a former Minneapolis police officer, faces charges of second degree murder. Third-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter stemming from the death of Floyd nearly a year ago. Closing arguments in the trial are scheduled to start Monday, setting a stage for jurors to begin deliberating soon after, although it remains to be seen precisely when a verdict will be reached. So when you have all these blacks and Antifa outside the courtroom, could that be considered intimidation of the jurors? I think so an attempt to influence the jury's decision. That can certainly be the case, folks. Floyd was placed under arrest on May 25, 2020, after he allegedly used a counterfeit $20 bill at a Minneapolis shop. He died shortly after while restrained by police officers, including Mr. Chauvin. Parts of the arrest were caught on camera, including video footage showing Mr. Chauvin, who is white, kneeling for several minutes on Floyd, a black man, while he laid face down in handcuffs. Never, they never play the race card when the victim is wife, white, wife, white, and the officer is black or Latino or Asian or anything like that. So I think it's going to be trouble, folks. I think it's going to be trouble. So enough of the George Floyd case. Uh, but on a related story, journalist flees America in fear of Antifa. Friday Church News Notes by David Cloud, April 9th, 2021. It's, uh, well, it's only eight days, the story is only eight days old, but I have a, an email copy of it. I tried to find it on their web, website, but I, it wasn't uh, posted there anymore. But here is what Mr. Cloud has to say. Because of the widespread, deceitful, foolish assault on policing, America is becoming so lawless that a journalist is forced to flee for his life because of the threat of thugs. Yeah, thugs like George Floyd. 
No one has done more to expose the agenda of Antifa and the lies of the mainstream media on this particular front than Andy Ngo, that's N-G-O. Andy Ngo, he's an Asian. His parents fled communism for the safety and freedom of America, only to see America now torn apart by leftist ideology, promoted at the highest levels of education, journalism, business, entertainment, and government. That is correct. It's everywhere. That's because Jews run all those things. The following is excerpted from Andy Engo reacts to becoming Antifa target. Fox News, April 5, 2021. Quote, Andy Engo, born and raised Portlander and second-generation Vietnamese-American, a conservative journalist who serves as the editor-at-large of the Post-Millennial, is now a New York Times best-selling author thanks to his recently published tome, quote, Unmasked Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. In Unmasked, Engo explores not only the history of Antifa, both in and outside of the United States, but also his own experiences covering what he describes as an organized community of radical left-wing anarchists, otherwise known as communists. Opponents tried to stop the book from being published. Communists don't believe in freedom of speech. Engo, 33, wrote on Twitter, Over the course of years, Engo has endured physical attacks from people in crowds while covering Antifa and radical events and even unwanted visitors at his and his parents' homes, Engo wrote in his book. But everything came to a head earlier this year when Engo left the country amid threats of violence and an escalation of safety concerns, he told Fox News. Quote, it was just not safe anymore for me. I had already been on borrowed time, so it's not safe for anti-communists. He said when reached by phone. Engo grew to have a keen interest in Antifa following the outcome of the 2016 presidential election, he said. Absolutely nobody was expecting it, he recalled, and the response to that democratic outcome was for people to take to the streets in masses to reject that outcome. And in Portland, many people chose to manifest their frustration through violence and destruction. In his coverage on the ground in Portland at the time, Engo said he began to see the groundwork being laid for something much worse to come. Yes, much worse is happening. And this was before COVID. There was just this overall, not just a shift in the attitudes in the public toward left-wing political violence, but also the hollowing out and weakening of law enforcement institutions, he said. Engo was a student journalist at Portland State University tasked with working on election night in 2016. He said what he saw shocked him. He described hearing at the time that Trump, Trump's election was the first step toward uh, ascended fascism and the rise of a totalitarian regime in the U.S., as if communism isn't totalitarian. <laughs> These extremist, radical, unfounded ideas were given space to propagate in our papers of legacy, in our homes, through broadcast and radio, and, of course, to online news sites, Engo said. That helped to really radicalize the left, in my opinion. Yeah, the, the support by mainstream media, by Jew media. Engo's resolve to cover Antifa, quote, became more clear and focused from 2017 through 2018 when he began to notice discrepancies in what he was seeing at riots versus what was being reported. 
Quote, after every riot that was occurring in Portland and Seattle, the coverage from the local press was not the honest picture about who these masked militants actually were, he said. The way they were described, they were lionized and described as essentially as heroes who are protecting their communities because police don't protect people, because police are racist and transphobic and homophobic, unquote. So, you see the agenda? <laughs> the agenda is working, folks. The, the Jewish agenda is totally working. We're, we're not going to see any end to this, folks. It's going to be just as George Washington's vision prophesied. The, the last wave after the first two had ended, namely the, uh, the victory of the Americans against the British and the black cloud from Africa causing a civil war and the red cloud from Europe, Jew communism coming from Europe. He said the, the third uh, revolution will be the worst and there will be fighting in the streets of every city, even hand-to-hand combat in every city of America. So get ready, folks. All indications are that this will come true. This pandemic is going to lead, and, and these uh, phony racist uh, outcries, and of course these false flags that... Uh, are happening on a regular basis. The most recent one in the post office in Indianapolis. I, I'm sorry, FedEx in Indianapolis. We reported on last night. You can expect this to continue because Biden and Kabbalah Harristein do not want freedom of speech. They do not want liberty. They want communism. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you have to be blind not to see that that is the agenda of the Democratic Party and all left-wingers, including the Democratic Party and even the uh, rhinos, the Republicans in name only, and even the churches have been sucked into uh, left-wing rhetoric, socialism, somehow socialism is good. It's preached by the Vatican, the popes have been preaching that uh, that the wealthy people should be taxed more heavily so that the, the, our money can be given to the the poor, but the poor never do anything worth worthwhile with it. So what they need to do is work, get jobs, and earn a living like we do, like most white people do. Okay, situation update on the vaccinated. And this is Natural News, Mike Adams' website. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, they have handlers. Yeah. Kabbalah and, uh, and Biden definitely have Jewish handlers. Let me open up the picture. Okay, so all 10 of Biden's high-profile appointees are Jews. Every single one. Secretary of the Treasury. Janet Yellen, formerly of the Federal Reserve. Attorney General Merrick Garland. 
Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, Spanish Jew, no doubt, uh, Director of National Intelligence, Averill Haynes. That is not a Jewish-sounding name, but the schnoz sure looks Jewish. White House Chief of Staff, Ron Klein. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken. Deputy Secretary of State, Wendy Sherman. Secretary of State of Political Affairs, Victoria Newland. Oh, horrible. The Office of Science and Technology Policy, Eric Lander. Director of the Central Intelligence Agency, David S. Cohen. No, Biden needs to hire more Jews. <laughs> the country needs more Jews. We need more Jewish censorship and dictatorship. Yeah, don't we? Don't we? All right. Situation update. April 6th, the vaccinated will die. The unvaccinated will be hunted. I like that title. From Natural News, globalists have a forked tongue plan to exterminate humanity. Many who take the vaccine will simply die from the engineered hyperinflammatory reactions that are likely to hit hard in the fall, while those who refuse to take the vaccine will be hunted down, rounded up, and thrown in COVID concentration camps for efficient extermination. I never thought somebody outside of Eurofolk Radio would be <laughs> saying things like this. This plan will be resisted in conservative states like Florida and Texas, but this is precisely the plan being rolled out in genocidal blue states like New York and California. Many other genocidal regions and other nations are also participating in this max extermination experiment, such as the state of Victoria, Australia. In New York, the criminal-minded Governor Cuomo is pushing vaccine passports to coerce the population into taking the engineered death shots, which are already resulting in tens of thousands of deaths worldwide. All such deaths are called coincidences, of course, because the medical establishment lies about the cause of death to achieve their desired goals of medical tyranny. In 2020, when a person died months after tested positive for COVID, that death was called a COVID death. But in 2021, when a person dies five minutes after taking a COVID vaccine, that death is called a coincidence. All this doesn't mean the anti-human globalist demons will succeed, however. There is also growing resistance against vaccine passports, with many people, including political leaders like Ron Paul, claiming such, as idea, such an idea may be the final straw or tipping point needed for humanity to finally rise up and end the medical tyranny now being unleashed against them by terroristic governments worldwide. That's why other global depopulation plans are also being pursued as rapidly as possible, including fake President Joe Biden trying to start World War III with Russia via Ukraine, which we reported on last night, as tensions rise on the uh, Ukraine-Russian border. Anti-human demon globalist Bill Gates trying to block the sun and collapse the global food supply to unleash mass famine. Yep. 
Bullet point number three, the rapid deployment of 5G electromagnetic weapon systems in cities around the world with telecommunications capabilities serving as the cover story. Yeah, we need a, a, one, a, one nano, nanosecond faster cell phone, right? The mass poisoning of the food supply with pesticides, herbicides, and heavy metals. Yep, that's probably why most people are getting sick. Toxicity. It uh, destroys your immune system and makes you susceptible to whatever bug happens to be going around. Point number five, economic assaults on humanity via COVID lockdowns, crushing small businesses and local employment opportunities. So, yeah, I really do. I have been expecting a backlash. I was really surprised at how easily... uh, so many people are volunteering to get the shot. That's just uh, unbelievable to me that so many people are simply plain old volunteering. It just shows that the ignorance about vaccines being so supposedly safe and effective. That widespread ignorance has to be due to the effective propaganda campaign by Big Pharma and mass media and just about every other major political entity, including unions, and the military, of course, all promoting vaccines. So you can understand why this brainwashing works. He says, okay, the globalists are no longer even pretending to be working to save humanity. (laughs) You believe that ever? The denial phase of the globalist agenda is now over, and anti-human globalists are rolling out concentration camps, vaccine passports, FBI terrorism, and weaponization of the government against human civilization on all fronts. The new Biden infrastructure bill even earmarks $20 billion to tear down roads and highways that are deemed racist. Racist highways? How can a highway be racist? It's not named after Martin Luther King. The total destruction of human civilization is now underway. Yeah, the, the attempt is there for sure. This does not mean they will succeed, and there are and there are many things people can do to defeat the, this intense evil and restore human liberty and dignity. In a special podcast that's also incorporated into my daily podcast, I lay out a health strategy for helping yourself and others survive the COVID death wave even if you've already taken a vaccine. While no plan works in all cases, I believe this nutritional strategy can save lives. And I've just been telling people, take vitamins A, B, C, D, and E, plus zinc, and any other supplement you feel will help you get healthy or or fight off all of these manufactured diseases that are coming down the pike. Yeah, mathematics is racist. Yeah, that's right. Mathematics is racist. Because blacks don't know how to add and subtract. And Jews lie. They, they, They do know how to add and subtract, but they always lie about the result. Today's Situation Update podcast also reveals how humanity on the verge of rising up against globalist terrorist governments that are working on rolling out vaccine passports as a permanent control mechanism to enslave the compliant sheeple who go along with it. Well, uh, why don't you just come out with it? The Rothschilds and the United Nations, that's where all the 
this tyranny is coming from. The time to peacefully resist vaccine passports, vaccine mandates, and criminal governments is now. Amen. Amen to that. In yesterday's podcast, we covered more details about the rolling out of COVID concentration camps, something now approved by the New York Senate, which can be used by the governor to round up those who resist vaccines by labeling them a danger to public health. Okay. Pastor Pastor Greg, you're in New York. <laughs> I think it's time to get out of New York. Uh, even if you move to Illinois temporarily, I've got a place for you to stay until you find a better place. But uh, right now, anything, any place is better than New York. They're already pushing for vaccine passports. I can't believe the New York Senate, Senate actually passed such a bill. Amazing. The unvaccinated will be labeled a new terrorist by the big pharma-funded journal, journal terrorist media and the anti-human criminal government. This is what they will keep repeating over and over again while they hunt down, round up, and kill those who resist. Well, I have a feeling there's going to be uh, deaths on both sides here. (laughs) Deaths on both sides. So, all right, well, Mike Adams is doing uh, good reporting on this issue, but uh, as most people... Uh, are familiar, at least uh, you know those of us in identity and, and real conservatives, we know that they never name the real perpetrators. Never name it. Okay. So, folks, we're getting closer and closer to absolute tyranny, but that also means we're getting closer and closer to the second coming. The second coming. Okay. All right, Uh, here's a positive story, and it says, Police in Canada challenged the government on the illegality of the measures. I think it's talking about the lockdown. And this is in Calgary. Let me see if I can uh, find the article, Police on Guard. For the police on guard.ca.canada. Okay. Mission statement. Okay. Letter to active stakeholders. Citizens of Ontario, Ontario's chiefs of police, police associations, Premier of Ontario, etc. 21st December 2020. We are police officers and know many other officers that support the following message. After the unfortunate events in Calgary, the time for action is now. We have serious concerns over Premier Ford's decision to expand further restrictions that put law enforcement officers in an untenable situation that must be avoided. I don't don't know what happened in Calgary around the 21st of December. For 10 months, public officials and bureaucrats have been operating with arbitrary emergency powers that often violate the fundamental freedoms guaranteed by the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Everyday Premier Ford, Mayor Tory, and politically appointed bureaucrats are on television, radio, and in the newspapers calling on Ontarians to slowly allow all civil liberties to be taken away. Yes, that's correct. 
What we have seldom seen is any comment by those in positions of law enforcement and the judicial system addressing the lawfulness of these measures or on the grave consequences they create. Yeah, there hasn't been any reporting about that. We're calling on the following stakeholders to immediately meet independently from politicians and bureaucrats. One, the Ontario Chiefs of Police. Two, police associations. Three, members of the Ministry of the Attorney General, including Crown Attorneys, Judges, Justices of the Peace, and Constitutional Lawyers. Well, yeah, these people should be leading the charge against the COVID lockdown. Please collaborate and deliver clear and concise direction to the men and women in law enforcement. Until this happens, a moratorium needs to be declared on the enforcement of public health orders by peace officers. Ten months has been far too long for this not to have happened. Are police officers supposed to uphold the charter which they have taken an oath to protect? Or do municipal bylaws now supersede the Constitution? At a time when the public trust in police has nearly eroded beyond repair, and it's not their fault, it's the fault of COVID and government, this is of paramount importance. It's a very, very dangerous job these days. The citizens of Ontario deserve transparency from the officials they have elected, as well as from the police that are sworn to serve and protect. This is not an unreasonable request. No unreasonable request will be uh, will be considered. No unreasonable request will be considered. No reasonable request will be considered. What happened in Calgary cannot happen again. Never in our lives did we think we would see police officers threatening to taser and arrest kids playing pond hockey. Okay, so that's what happened in Calgary. So why were those police officers threatening? Because because of the illegal and unconstitutional orders they were given to detain hockey players, children hockey players. Absolutely crazy, folks. Absolutely crazy. We are seeing the... Uh, the breakdown of all civilization, and it's not going to stop until they have to meet resistance. That's going to be the, the, the last resort, <clears throat> but that will happen. There's no doubt about it. Okay. Uh, Gab News, uh, again, from Canada. Gab is making tremendous progress with scaling our in-house infrastructure to handle the massive growth we saw during the first quarter of 2021. I'm pleased to announce that we got another data center up and running last week, thanks to all of you. When you support Gab by going pro or making a purchase in our shop, you make moments like this possible. By operating independently away from big tech cloud hosting providers, Gab can scale well into the future without fear of having the plug pulled by someone like Amazon. Thank you for making this happen. And, of course, Andrew Torba is a Christian. He's the owner of Gab. In case you missed it, we also announced that we have begun a two-fold project that we are calling Gab Next. We're rewriting the back end of Gab Social to be more scalable, secure, and fast. As part of this transition, we are in the process of developing the tools and framework that will power a new digital economy 
including Gab Pay, Gab Marketplace, and more. They're becoming a, a Facebook, a Facebook and uh, and PayPal, all in one. When free speech is preserved, free markets will inevitably form as a result, and that's the next evolution of Gab. We look forward to sharing more with you all over the next few months as we make progress on this initiative. Finally, I'm including some of the top trending news that folks are talking about on Gab today below. One story in particular is very concerning. A church in Canada was forcibly shut down by police for refusing to bend the knee to the medical tyranny of the state. The church's pastor was arrested last summer and has been at the center of a battle to freely worship God in Canada for many months now. I encourage you all to share this story with others and support this church in any way you can. Today it's one church, tomorrow it's every church. If hundreds of people can walk around Walmart, then hundreds of people can gather to worship God. No, they can't. <laughs> the Jews won't let it. The Jews will not al uh, allow it. Okay, so where's the story? Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, it's not. Uh, it says the story below, but I, I can't find that story. But there's uh, there's other th other stories here. Okay, let's see. NBA expects full arenas for the 2021-22 season amid partnership with Biometric Screening Company. Oh, facial recognition. There you go. Oh man, here's here's uh, something. Topology was destroyed. <laughs> okay, so I guess uh, that uh, the news coming from Gab uh, is just not working right. All right, so folks, we are living in oppressive times. Adolf says, "I was banned on natural news by brain dead atoms." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fortunately, well, we've been lucky. Uh, Tony has been posting a lot of the same stuff that we have on www.vaccinehoax.com, and he hasn't banned us yet. So we'll see how that goes. Maybe, maybe he hasn't noticed, <laughs> right? But uh, Adams is uh, surely afraid that the Jews will will shut him down. Okay, so, and I think he may have to, I don't know if he's independent like Gab is, but Gab is uh, saying to hell with you Jews, you know, we believe in freedom of speech, and if people want to criticize Jews on Gab, they're free to do so. So that's that's very positive. We need We need more outlets like that. And of course, Eurofolk Radio is an outlet like that. We are the leader, probably, the world leader in exposing the Jews for what they really are. Okay. <laughs> All right, so let's get back to COVID. And as we mentioned, as Mike Adams mentioned, the state of New York has created vaccine passports. And this is from USA Today. New York launches nation's first vaccine passports. Others are working on similar ideas, but many details must be worked out. Karen 
Weintraub and Elizabeth Wise. Starting Friday, New Yorkers will be able to pull up a code on their cell phone or a printout to prove they've been vaccinated against COVID-19 or recently tested negative for the virus that causes it. The first in the nation certification, called Excelsior Pass, will be used first at large-scale venues like Madison Square Garden. Okay, I think I've uh, accessed this article once before. But next week, the pass will be accepted at dozens of event, arts, and entertainment venues statewide. It already lets people increase the size at a wedding party or other catered events. So in other words, it's blackmail. It allows partial freedom. (laughs) Can you believe it, folks? It allows partial freedom for uh, to get back to uh, less than normal. Less than normal, folks. To get back to less than normal. So do it at your own risk. All right, so we've got... A, a plague, a, a plague of lies, an epidemic of lies that uh, we can't we can't overcome at the current rate. Okay, so let's switch topics altogether here. Also from USA Today, from Billy Graham to Roy Moore, evangelicals have come a ways, but still aren't there. Now this is an older article that's going back to. Uh, October 26, 2017, but it shows that Judge Roy Moore, his struggle to keep Christianity anchored with the Ten Commandments, is it, it was already in trouble then. And uh, here's an interesting headline, White Christians Dominate GOP Despite Decline in Religious Affiliation. Even though white Christians are on the decline in America, they still dominate the Republican Party. Voyeur's Josh King has the story. Okay, so we got, <laughs> we got a Jew writing the story. Okay, 60 years after his epic crusade in New York City established Billy Graham as America's leading Christian evangelical, uh, Jewish Christian preacher, a U.S. Senate election in Alabama could make Roy Moore its leading evangelical politician. The contrast between Graham then, America's pastor, and Moore now, the Ten Commandments judge, illustrates the change of, well, Graham didn't preach the Ten Commandments. He preached Jesus. Illustrates the changes in the political fortunes of their common constituency and helps explain its powerful nostalgia. Well, first of all, the Jewish-controlled universities have been brainwashing young people to the maximum extent and socialism has crept into the Judeo churches by leaps and bounds. So the Ten Commandments are no longer necessary. And they never were necessary for communism, and that's where we're going, folks. On October 27, 1957, before a crowd of 40,000 at the Polo Grounds, Graham concluded a crusade that began in May and filled Madison Square Garden uh, night after night until Labor Day. This year, on September 26th, Moore, even though he was vastly outspent and even though the president and vice president campaigned for his opponent, won a Republican primary runoff for the seat vacated by Jeff Sessions. 
Now supported by Donald Trump, he's favored to beat Democratic Democrat Doug Jones, but we all know what happened. His candidacy was undercut by lies, the lie that he had had an affair with a teenage girl in his youth. The same tactic they tried to smear the uh, Supreme Court judge, uh, justice heir apparent. That would complete Moore's comeback from not one, but two officers from the Alabama Supreme Court. The first were refusing to remove the Ten Commandments monument he'd installed in the courthouse, and it would solidify his status as a national evangelical folk hero. Yeah, we need more evangelical folk heroes. We need evangelical people to obey Yahweh's commandments. Most of these Judeo churches and their evangelicals do not believe in the commandments. Moore is a Southern Baptist. So is Graham, now 98 and long retired. I think he, uh, he has since died since this article was written in 2017. The similarities just stop there, <laughs> right? It goes to show that uh, Graham is nothing but a, a, a hot, hot air balloon. But Judge Roy Moore actually believes in the Ten Commandments. Where, uh, <laughs> where Graham was relaxed, inclusive, and generally nonpartisan, that means milk toast. Moore is abrasive, divisive, and happily partisan. That is, he is a zealot. He reflects the temper of the times and one of its paradoxes. Despite their crucial role in electing Trump, evangelicals feel under siege. Yes, they are. By mass media, by Jews, by everything. Robert Jones, CEO of the Nonpartisan Public Religion Research Institute, says these conservative white Protestants worry about a future that appears to be against them and worry they should. The last three years has proven that they should be worried. They need to be fighting for our U.S. Constitution, too. Gay marriage, opposed by six in ten evangelicals, has been ruled legal. Roe versus Wade, another evangelical betmar, remains the law on abortion, although that's changing in some states. Church attendance is flat or declining even among white evangelicals. Yeah, because it's a milk toast message that they're all giving. So, it's interesting that before the American Revolution in 1776, the same thing applied. The, the churches, the, whether Baptist, Anglican, or what have you, were being, the, the services were being run by party hacks, by hacks. Uh, and un, uninspired sermons were being delivered from the pulpits of America just before the American Revolution. And about three or four years before the American Revolution, Several itinerant pastors, one of them being from Britain, I forget what his name, I think it was uh, White, White House, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, a, a strong movement of itinerant pastors went around the country preaching fired-up sermons and drawing crowds which the mainstream churches couldn't. Now that's very interesting because... If Roy Moore were a, were a preacher rather than a politician, maybe he should be a preacher. 
Because maybe this is what America needs, is uh, these itinerant pastors to run around the country and demanding repentance, because Christians are, are too lackadaisical. And certainly the organizations, the denominations, are lackadaisical and boring. <laughs> That's why people are leaving in droves. That's one of the reasons. And the other main reason is because they don't, they don't support white people. They don't support real Christianity. They don't support God's laws. This is why white people, especially, are leaving these churches. So let them leave. Let these churches fail. That's the best thing that could happen. Jesse Brown, a retired Athens State University political science professor, speaks to groups around the state. Quote, Talk to someone who's 80 and someone who's 30 from the same church, and it's different worlds. For younger people, whatever they think of gay marriage, it isn't a big dot on their radar screen. Yeah, because they haven't been taught the Bible. Graham reached out in the 1950s, secure in Protestant Christianity's national primacy. But Moore, facing a culture increasingly inhospitable to his creed, is in a defensive crouch. Yes, he was. Graham got attention because he spoke for and to the nation, says Jones. No, he didn't. He was uh, speaking... Uh, he was speaking liberalism in soft underbelly tones. Says Jones, author of The End of White Christian America. Okay, you think is you think it's coming to an end. Moore gets attention because he's so out of step with the nation. No, he wasn't getting any attention at all. <laughs> the only attention he got was negative. Okay, including false ac- accusations. The e- evangelical moment. When Billy Graham agreed to bring one of his crusades to New York in 1957, he broke definitively with the separatist strain of evangelicalism, which sought to isolate itself from a sinful world rather than convert it. Well, guess what? Graham did not convert it. (laughs) The world has become even more sinful. So, Graham failed. In the separatist view, New York was Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, it still is, and it's gotten worse. Worse, it was a bastion of papist Roman Catholicism and mainline Protestant denominations that often viewed evangelicals as backward snake charmers. Uh, did he forget about the Jews? The Jews of New York City? I guess he dare not even mention them. At 38, Graham was already a phenomenon. Handsome, sincere, confident, eloquent. He'd just begun what's been a 60-year run on Gallup's list of men most admired by Americans. He was close to President Eisenhower, another Jew, (laughs) and would be to many of Ike's successors. So, anyway, promotion. It's all about promotion, folks. Image is everything. God's ambassador. What an undeserved title. Yeah, uh, maybe the other guy, the, the God down below, reached beyond the old evangelical audience. He integrated his Southern Crusades in 1952, three years before the Montgomery bus boycott, where he met and befriended Martin Luther King. Yeah, a communist. Yeah, and of course, Billy Graham, formerly Billy Frank, also a Jew. So uh, putting on a, a great face, the Mask of Edom, Graham admitted to approaching New York to quote the Apostle Paul, quote, in fear and trembling, 
and also in hope that he could start a religious awakening that would sweep this country like a prairie fire. Well, it didn't happen. He lit a spark. Yeah, maybe, maybe some houses burnt down by Black Lives Matter. <laughs> the first night crowd at the garden was 18,000. The next day, the New York Times devoted two pages to the event and printed the text of Graham's sermon. ABC televised the Saturday night services nationally. Now, when was the last time a Christian pastor got that kind of press? Positive press. Well, because they know they were promoting, promoting a multiculturalist. That's why they gave him all this press. The crusade, originally scheduled for six weeks, was extended. On July 20, Graham drew a record crowd of 100,000 at Yankee Stadium. Thousands were turned away. The crusade was extended to, into August. A Labor Day rally filled Times Square and the streets leading into it with a crowd of estimated 125,000. That just shows you what promotion can do. Graham thundered, Let us tell all the world we are united and ready to march under the banner of Martin Luther King, Ju I mean, sorry, Almighty God, taking as our slogan that which is stamped on our coins in God we trust. No, in the media we trust. Graham's sermon at the Polo Grounds finale struck a more som somber note, one that's relevant today. War with the Soviet Union seemed, quote, more possible now than at any time in the past 10 years, he said. A congressman told him there is a strong element within the Kremlin that believes that Russia should attack the United States within the next two years. Of course, that didn't happen. And the political pulpit. Last month, Roy Moore strode onto stage at a pre-primary runoff election rally in Fairhope, Alabama, wearing a cowboy hat and vest and nursing a resentment. Opposition ads that questioned his support for the Second Amendment. With that, he pulled the pistol from his pocket, held it up for all to see, and said, I support the Second Amendment. Very good. The flamboyance was Vintage Moore, who on Election Day rides his horse to the polls and who hung up a plaque with the Ten Commandments over the four-poster bed he shares with his wife in their home about 50 miles northeast of Birmingham. Over the years, he has delighted supporters and outraged critics. Islam is a false religion, he said. Homosexuality, akin to bestiality, is immoral and should be illegal. Yeah, he should be a preacher. Maybe he could turn some of these uh, dying churches around. Moore, a West Point graduate and Vietnam vet, lost two local races in Alabama in the 1980s before his appointment in 1992, to fill a judicial vacancy. When he began saying a prayer to open court and posted a copy of the commandments in his courtroom, the ACLU objected, and Moore was on his way. By 1996, a poll found 90% of Alabamans agreed with him. Well, how about that? 90% of Alabamans agreed with Judge Roy Moore. Yet, the, the mass media has nothing but criticism. Yeah, and that's true today. Uh, Adolf uh, says, fake opposition blaming China and globalists for everything. Yeah, that's what's going on right now. To distract people away from the Jews-Israeli state, they're blaming everything on China. And even this uh, 
uh, border war, you know, the, the tensions at the border between Ukraine and Russia, I think, is uh, all just saber rattling to destruct, uh, distract rather, from China, and what's really happening because the Bidens are so wrapped up in China, that is pitiful, absolutely pitiful. All right, this notoriety helped elect him chief judge of the Alabama Supreme Court in 2000. He promptly commissioned a 2.5-ton granite monument with the commandments and installed it in the Senate Judicial Building. The ACLU sued. Moore argued that since God is the foundation of American law, his commandments belong in a courthouse. He refused to remove the monument when a federal court ruled against him and was himself removed from the bench in 2003. This burnished Moore's legend in Alabama, which is heavily Baptist, is the second least religiously diverse state and has resented federal authority since the Civil Rights Movement, not to mention the Civil War. Moore failed to win the GOP nomination for governor in 2006 and 2010, but in 2012 voters turned him into the high court. Four years later, after he told lower court judges to ignore the U.S. Supreme Court ruling on gay marriage, he was suspended for the balance of his term. He resigned and announced his Senate candidacy. Well, he's a judge that believes in God, not the government. Okay? Uh, uh, I can't think of a more deserving judge in America. I, I just can't. Okay. So, Moore failed to win the GOP nomination for governor in 2000. Oh, I think I read that. All right. He resigned and announced his Senate candidacy. Although Moore has expanded his political palette to include issues like immigration and gun rights, his primary focus is religious liberty. Freedom from government interference with, say, a florist's refusal to handle a gay wedding. But Moore actually seeks to insert Christian symbols and ideas into government places and policies. Well, this country was founded as a Christian nation, there's no doubt about it. If we don't recognize that this nation was founded upon God, he said at a rally this month, then we are going to lose our country. Amen to that. <laughs> Among his admirers is Franklin Graham, Billy's son and successor, who says, well, isn't it Franklin? Yeah, because Billy Graham's real name is Billy Frank, so he named his son Franklin, who says Moore has guts. He's one of the few willing to stand firm for truth and against the erosion of biblical principles, unquote. When Moore won the runoff, Graham tweeted congratulations. Well, that's probably just posturing by Franklin Graham there. No prairie fire. Evangelicals today, given their tenuous place in an increasingly secular society, might idealize Graham's success 60 years ago and wonder what went wrong. <laughs> yeah, what did go wrong? Yeah. Billy Graham was just posturing. That's what went wrong. In all, about 60,000 of those who attended a crusade signed cards making a decision for Christ. But there had been no prairie fire of faith. We have only touched the surface of the city, Graham said at the polo grounds. Yeah. Turning back the clock was too much, even for America's pastor. But the Ten Commandments judge, who'd be a 70-year-old freshman in the Senate primarily concerned with other matters, is willing to take up the cross. Billy Graham was a phony. That's all there is to that. Okay. So, interesting background on Judge Roy Moore. And I'm proud to say, my friend David Ewing 
took that Ten Commandments monument and put it on a flatbed truck and paraded it around the country on behalf of Roy Moore. He was Christian identity. He and his wife Marie were doing that in order to help Roy Moore. And uh, I just want to say real quick that unfortunately David Ewing passed away a couple of weeks ago. We had his funeral uh, in Missouri this uh, past Wednesday. And uh, proud to have known David and uh, his dedication to the U.S. Constitution and to real Christianity, unsurpassed by anybody. So, uh, but you're in good hands, David. You you are definitely going to be ruling with Yahshua in the kingdom. There's no doubt about it. Your record here on this planet has guaranteed that place. And I, I just hope that I will meet you there. Or you would come back with Yahshua at the second coming to help burn away, burn away all this evil that's happening. Thank you, Swamp Fox, because I, I preached a sermon at his funeral. So, <laughs> Captain Witness says, I have been banned from every forum on the web except EFR and one other. Anglin banned me from his goofy site several years ago. Now he almost sounds like he's CI, right? Yeah, he's, hey, he's growing. <laughs> he's growing, all right. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, We uh, being banned is, uh, I was banned from so many radio uh, platforms that I finally decided I had to have my own platform to stop from being banned, you know. And, of course, RBN was the last straw when they wouldn't, uh, you know, have me on again. And there had been several others, five or six others that uh, we were kicked off of. And you, some of you may remember the days when uh, Dan Johns and I were doing, oh, even before Talk Show, there were other venues that uh, we were both trying, and uh, we got kicked off of all of them. So, uh, and Talk Show finally kicked us off. And then there were several others. And a couple of them went bust. There was a nationalist, uh, a nationalist uh, website that did radio shows, and I think they went bust. So uh, we had again. The, there's if you can't if you can't succeed working for somebody else, start your own business or start your own format, and that's what we had to do. <laughs> Adolf says he was <laughs> he was banned by Anglin three times. Well, yeah, all you have to do is change your name, <laughs> right? And then you get banned again. Just change your name and keep uh, preaching the same message. But this is uh, the crazy world we're living in. Uh, the truth shall not go unpunished. That's the way it works today, folks. That's the way it works. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we are living in really perilous times really perilous times so we've got to brace up for the bitter for the bitter end there's no avoiding it there's absolutely no avoiding it because the politics is going to get worse the medical establishment is going to get worse and the business model of big pharma demands that people be repeat customers yeah, but there are, you know, the Rockefellers who control Big Pharma in America are also eugenicists. 
So if they don't kill you, they will make you a repeat customer. Either way, they make money. And then they get to eliminate all the unwantables, the undesirables, uh, the deplorables, the unmentionables, the so-called white racists and white terrorists, etc., etc. So, I see, white people uh, ought to be getting the message <laughs> that, that the establishment doesn't like them. Are they getting the message? Or are they still in denial? I think white people, a lot of white people, are still in denial. We've got to wake them up. That's our uh, whole point here. In in dealing with this uh, strange reality, but this reality has been prophesied by Scripture, we need to see that these scriptures are being fulfilled. And David Ewing was a, a real uh, student of prophecy, especially the book of Revelation, and that he had uh, all kinds of... Oh, man, his, his greatest work was the cross-references between the Old and New Testament, in which he showed that the covenant message, namely that the Bible was written to, by, for, and about Israel and Israel only, Israel exclusively, uh, was confirmed and showing that the word Gentile is completely false in its application and should not be in the Bible at all. Absolutely should not be in the Bible. And so by checking these cross-references where the word Gentile appears, he showed that the other references to the same subject in different either books of the New Testament or the Old Testament show it's about Israel, not about so-called Gentiles. And I, I told David, you, know, you need to turn this information into a book, <laughs> right? But he was still working on it when he died. So, you know, if I find a time, and it, there's hundreds of them. He did hundreds of them. You don't need to have all, you know, four, five, six, seven hundred of them to uh, turn it into a book, you just need to do the really good highlights to prove that the word Gentile does not belong in the Bible and the Bible does not include non-Israelites in the covenants. Simply does not do that. Absolutely does not do that. And so, and uh, so therefore, uh, a great identity scholar in his own right and, of course, uh, he was uh, promoting all of the latest archaeology, the findings of uh, the real Mount Sinai, the crossing point of, uh, from Nueva Beach, where the Israelites crossed the Sea of Reeds into Arabia. All this information, which has been basically ignored by mainstream judeo Christianity, community. Uh, they have no interest in this. They're they're totally out to lunch. Of course, this fulfills the prophecy of Second Thessalonians that there will be a great falling away uh, from Christianity in these last days. So, so let me go into Revelation chapter seventeen, which uh, t- uh, the great whore. Now, why is it called a great whore? It says the great prostitute. 
in uh, Esord. So why is it called a great whore? And the reason is because the Mystery Babylon is the international banking system. And the international bankers have always used prostitutes to compromise, to blackmail, to uh, blackface politicians, lords, uh, heads of state, etc. So to, to threaten them with exposure if they don't play the Jewish game. And so uh, the Bank of England was founded in this way. The Jew bankers from Holland that were brought uh, by Cromwell after being kicked out uh, several hundred years before, kicked out of Britain several hundred years before, they returned with Cromwell, assassinated the then king, Charles I, and then promoted Charles II after Cromwell, who was not, uh, just one of their puppets. And it was through the use of prostitutes to compromise Charles II and many of the king's courts that uh, the Bank of England was finally voted on and passed and created. And England has been run by Jews ever since. You cannot allow a Jew bank to get started in your country. That's a death knell for that country. And our version of it is the Federal Reserve Bank. When the Federal Reserve Bank was created, that was the death knell of America. And I'm amazed that we've lasted this long. Really amazed that we've lasted this long. In fact, despite everything, the Jews have not been able to destroy America using, you know, just by destroying our, our economy and by manipulating and taxing us to death and giving us war after war after war after war. For some reason, even though America has got one foot in the grave, uh, they just haven't been able to destroy it. Even after a hundred years of this Federal Reserve Bank trying to destroy us, they haven't succeeded. So they finally had to settle for COVID and the lockdown. But I say that's not going to work either. None of it's going to work because Mystery Babylon will fall as Revelation chapter 17 tells us. Okay, So prostitution is a big part of banking, always has been. In fact, the very first banks, going all the way back to Egypt, were also, how should I put this? Well, they were temples. They were temples, pagan temples, where people would deposit their gold. But one of the, reasons, one of the ways in which the priests made their money was by, uh, by being pimps. <laughs> because temple prostitution was commonplace. I'm not sure if in Egypt, you know, we're talking like four or 5,000 years ago, had male prostitutes. I don't think so. But certainly female prostitutes, so-called priestesses, who were part of the game. And that system went from kingdom to kingdom when the Assyrians uh, finally overthrew the Egyptians. The same system went to Assyria. And that same system went to Babylon, after Babylon defeated the Assyrians. But there, at Babylon, is where the fractional reserve banking system was formally created. And Mystery Babylon, which in the prophecy in Daniel tells us that 
the Babylon would be reborn. And the book of Revelation tells us that Babylon would be reborn as Mystery Babylon, but now on a global scale. We are dealing with this great whore of banking and prostitution and degeneracy, etc. This great whore rules the world today. <laughs> Captain Witness says the dogs bark, but the caravan moves on. <laughs> yeah, Monica Slutwinski. <laughs> Monica Slut Slutwinski. And Adolf says, William of Orange was a Jew merchant from Holland. That's interesting. Uh, I know he was a Jew uh, puppet. Whether he was actually Jewish himself, I've never heard that before, but I, you know, that's certainly possible. I wouldn't doubt it because uh, the Jews are always finagling their way into positions of power. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, uh, and Captain Witness says Babylon and Rome had temple prostitution also. Yes. Temple prostitution, uh, because why? Because the caravans moving through, uh, th those people had money, and they spent their money at the, at the temple services just as uh, tourists in America spend their money in Las Vegas. Okay, well, uh, all right, uh, Adolf says uh, he was a merchant from Holland, 100%, the William of Orange. Okay, so yeah, the, the, the Jews are always finagling their way into our government be, to get at our, to take control of our money. As Meyer Amschel Rothschild said, give me a control of a nation's currency, and I care not who makes its laws. And that's the situation we're in. And the Jews are controlling our currency and making our laws, both. That's what happens, because he who has the money calls the shots. And there's no doubt about that. He who has the money calls the shots. Okay, let's get back to Revelation chapter 17. And there came one of these seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. And the many waters are nations. And also, she sat upon all eight beasts. The previous seven she sat upon was a guiding, uh, manipulating force from behind the scenes. But the last beast, it is the whore. The eighth beast. The whore is running the entire show. Verse 2 with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and you can say fornication from every possible definition is what they do. And see, what do they have here? It's porneo, to act a harlot. To act as a harlot. Indulge unlawful lust of either sex or to practice idolatry. So it can be taken, yes, well, it's sexual Sexual fornication. Well, how do nations commit fornication? By race mixing, folks. This is talking about the fact of multiculturalism promoted by the Jews. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Uh, lesbianism? Uh, multiculturalism? The, uh, yeah, the, the, 
the engagement of Judeo-Christianity into multiculturalism, although that, te- that trend started probably in the early to mid-1800s with the false idea that the Gentiles are to be brought into the church. But there was no wholesale race mixing going on in Europe. A little bit in France since the French Revolution and the Freemasonic power behind the throne of France that up, that uprooted the throne of France. And Napoleon was the one who actually let the Jews out of the ghettos, thereby creating the eighth beast, Mystery Babylon. But yeah, they're drunk with the wine of her fornication. The people who are either on the payroll of the Jew world order or you know, making money investing in it or providing goods and services to it. Yeah, they're drunk with the wine of her fornication. Verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And as I have presented previously, the ten horns are the the nation-states of Europe that eventually became the Holy Roman Empire. So, and one, and the, this whore rode upon that Catholic beast for a considerable amount of time. Scarlet-colored, yeah, red. Red for the blood that's been shed by all of these beasts. So, so the first beast, as I mentioned, was Egypt, then Assyria, then Babylon, then the Medes and Persians, then the Greeks, and the Romans, and uh, then Napoleon, number seven, and then eight, Mystery Babylon. And it's described right here in verse five. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. The Jews and harlotry Judaism and harlotry are synonymous, folks. Judaism and harlotry are synonymous. And so is banking. Harlotry, banking, and Judaism go together like Las Vegas and the mob, the mafia, because Judaism is really a mafia religion. It's not based on the Bible at all, but it pretends to be based on it. So the mother of harlots... Now, why aren't the Judeo churches teaching from the book of Revelation today? They virtually ignore the book of Revelation. A few isolated theologians talk about it, but the churches utterly ignore it. Verse 6, And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Wow, what a power it is. Well, awe, awestruck at the the accomplishments. How can these banksters and shysters take over an entire planet, take over the whole world? Well, it's taken them quite a while. And the master plan was actually set in the Garden of Eden <laughs> with the seduction of Eve. So Yahweh is allowing this plan to continue because... He wants to determine 
which, which of his children, which so-called Christians will follow him versus following the Antichrist. And right now, it's pretty obvious the vast majority of Judeo-Christians are working for the Antichrist or with the Antichrist, thinking that they're working for Christ. Of course, they don't follow his law, so they can't possibly be working for Christ. Verse 7, And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman, and the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and the ten horns. These are the seven kingdoms, starting from Egypt all the way down to Napoleon. Verse 8, The beast that thou sawest was, and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. Alright, so, it was, but now is not. You have to go back to, well, uh, whenever John wrote these words, which was probably around 70 A.D. or thereabouts, maybe 90, somewhere between 70 and 90 A.D., because I think he died around 1990 A.D. So as he was writing this, th these words, that beast, that is the third beast, Babylon, was not an empire, but it was still working behind the scenes, attempting to regain its empire. But it shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, yeah, when Napoleon released them, when he let the Jews out of the ghettos, he established, inadvertently, the Rothschild banking empire. And, but, and it will also go into perdition. Okay, that's the day we're looking forward to when they go into perdition. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Yeah, she is a vampire also, right? Okay, Adolf says, William Orge killed his wife Mary II of England because she wouldn't agree to, on a private central bank of Jew England. Very interesting. Okay. I should study William of Orange better. Okay. Yeah, the demons are held back until the end. Yes. And, uh, but man, all hell is going to break loose. It's going to break loose. Uh, just like just before the Exodus in Egypt, when all hell broke loose with the seven last plagues. It's going to happen to us, so we better be ready. Either have your place of refuge where they can't get at you, or be prepared to fight. Those are your only two options, and probably many of us have a combination of the two. We might ride out the storm without being attacked by, by the Chinese, because that's, again, we were talking about the fact that China is being you know, downplayed by ma mainstream media. And this whole business of Ukraine and Russia being played up. But China is the real villain in this story. The Rothschilds are going to use China as their ace or their trump card, their joker, when all else fails. If they still haven't conquered America, which they won't, they're going to use. China, the Chinese military, because they created communist China, financed it, and still run it even today. Joe Biden is, one, is a Rothschild operative, and China is a Rothschild nation. So there's, they're eventually going to have to do that. But even that will fail.
because they're going to run up against the 200 million man uh, militia army of the United States of America. That's what they're going to have to face off against, and they're not going to succeed. It's going to be violent. A lot of our people are going to be killed, but they will not succeed. Now, whether the second coming will be before, during, or after this confrontation between China and our militias remains to be seen. The timing is uh, almost insignificant, but that's going to happen. That's all going to happen. All right? So, the beast that Lassos was, because it's the third beast, Babylon, and is not, does not exist in the days that John was writing, and, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go unto perdition. So it will be revived. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. We're talking about the Rothschild banking system. Those people who worship this beast, their names are not written in the book of life. Verse 9. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains, not literal mountains, as figurative mountains, namely kingdoms. Well, on, on which the woman sitteth. Yeah, these banksters have been sitting riding the, the, the great whore have been sitting on these nations, on these kingdoms, throughout history. Verse 10, And there are seven kings. Okay? So the Seventh-day Adventists, they read verse 9 and say, Okay, this, this means the seven hills of Rome. No. If you go to verse 10, the very next verse, you see we're talking about kings, nations, kingdoms, not literal hills. Five of these seven kings are fallen. So in the days that John was writing, five of them had come and gone from Assyria, uh, from, I'm sorry, from Egypt to Greece. One is, that is the Roman Empire existed while John was writing. And at this time, it had not yet morphed into the Holy Roman Empire because beast number six, Rome, got the deadly wound, which was revived. And uh, so from pagan Rome, empirical, uh, yeah, empirical Rome, uh, there was a hiatus after the uh, pagan Rome fell. There was a hiatus, and then eventually the papacy was formed, and the papacy and Charlemagne formed the Holy Roman Empire. That was the healing of the deadly wound. So, but Rome ruled for quite some time from the days that Rome was founded until the seventh beast, Napoleon, crowned himself and put an end to Rome's military might. That is, the papacy's military might, never to be revived again. Okay, And it's a, Rome is today a second-rate religion even. <laughs> okay, but, and it says, five kings are fallen, one is... And the other is not yet come. This is a reference to Napoleon. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. Of all seven kingdoms mentioned here, 
Napoleon's reign was the shortest. It was only about 17 years. Verse 11. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth. Okay. The third beast, Babylon, was, is not in the days that John is writing, but will be revived as the eighth. We're already told that one of these beasts will be revived. And is of the seven and goes into perdition. Okay, it will be destroyed. So we have an absolute guarantee that they will not succeed. They're going to get damn close, but they won't succeed. Verse 12, And the ten whores which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. And that, as I said, are the ten nations of the Holy Roman Empire during the revival or the healing of the deadly wound of Rome. Verse 13, These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb. Huh? Well, pagan Rome made war against Jesus Christ. The, the Vatican sure as hell made war against Jesus Christ. Certainly against Christians misrepresenting Yahshua Messiah from the day of its founding and making war against us, true Israel. And the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Right now, I, I don't see any other, you know, there may be a smattering of Christians outside of identity who f uh, fill the bill that are with him, are called and chosen and faithful obey his commandments and have the faith, the faithfulness of Yahshua Messiah. But the vast majority of them do not. They're <laughs> milk-toast Christians who drink lukewarm coffee. Verse 15, And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the horse sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Yeah, the UN sits on top of all these waters. Peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Now, it's, a possi it's possible that these ten, uh, ten horns may be end times, but I, I don't see any uh, modern day fulfillment or secondary fulfillment. Uh, the European Union would have been a possibility, but it's it's more than ten nations. So I don't see any group of ten that has uh, come about in uh, in our era. So right now I'm still uh, you know, going with the ten nations that formed the Holy Roman Empire. But they're still part of the beast system. They still are. Verse 16. And the ten horns. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, those ten horns, I have to tell you, are made up of Israelite nations. You know, you're talking, you know, the Holy Roman Empire included France, Germany, Austria, Denmark, etc., etc., Britain, Russia. All of these nations had kings descended from King David. 
Yet they blew it big time by allowing themselves to be engaged in internecine warfare by the Rothschild banking family. So they blew it big time. They were manipulated by the Rothschilds. But here is the verse. Listen to what it says. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Is Europe waking up? Is America waking up? Australia, Canada, New Zealand, South Africa? Are the Christian Israelites in those nations waking up? I tell you, folks, there's a lot of matches <laughs> and a lot of gasoline getting ready to be poured on the great horror by our people. Verse 17, For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And indeed, our Israelite people who don't know their Israel, Christians who don't know their Israelites, have been doing the will of the eighth beast and the entire beast system for most of their lives, not realizing they're serving the devil. They actually believe they're serving Jesus Christ, but they're not. Verse 18, And the woman which thou sawest is the great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Now what city might that be? We in identity know, but the Judeo-Christian world is utterly clueless what these verses are even talking about. That great city, of course, is London, England, where the Rothschild Bank of England was founded and has ruled the world since the Napoleonic Wars. Duping investors in one... uh, bubble after another, which they crash when they see fit. And they rob all these investors of their life savings or half their life savings, whatever they chose to invest in the stock market, hoping to get rich. And then they lose it all when the Rothschilds stick that bubble with a pin. And then they go, pop! And they collect all the money you lost. That money doesn't disappear. It goes into the pockets of the Rothschilds and their banking allies. That's who gets it, okay? That's the story of the modern era, Mystery Babylon. So, folks, yeah, seven months burying the dead, okay? So, these prophecies are getting really close to being fulfilled. All right, folks, thanks for listening. This has been the Restoration Hour for April 17, 2021. Stay positive, stay strong, don't lose faith, don't lose hope, because these prophecies will come true. You just want to be on the right side of the aisle. Thanks for listening. Take care. Yahweh bless everybody.